Good. So good to see you all this morning. So good to be here. Excited to be here. Um, have you ever thought that you, you had a, a characteristic that was flawed, that you've dealt with this thing, right? You think it's done. You think God has taken this thing out, and then one day you discover that it's still there. You, you know what I mean? Like the other day, I went to the shops, and I parked it in front of this one shop, and then um, I went to KFC. So I got my food, went, no, I ordered the, placed the order, went back to my car, and then I realized that some guy had parked me in. Right? So I mean, like, park me in, park me in. Like, this, my, my door couldn't open, like, even 30 centimeters. And also, my waistline is slightly bigger than it was before. So in the past, I could have squeezed in, but I can't. So now I get triggered, like, properly frustrated. And I think, what am I going to do? And the obvious thing to do in that point was to go find this guy. That's obvious, the obvious thing to do. No, it isn't. But that's what I thought it was. So anyway, then I walk, I walk into this, the shop right in front of me. I look around. I don't see a single customer. So obviously, it's no one in that shop. I walk into the next shop. see a bunch of customers. And I say, hey, does anyone drive this cab outside? Everyone's just like, no, sorry. Then I go to KFC. KFC, where I just placed my order. And I spot this guy. I know. I knew when I saw this guy that it was him. I knew. And I said, do you drive the cab, man? And he said, yes. I said, bro, you parked me in. Nothing about my words was massively offensive, not one thing. But everything about my body language said, dude, <laughs> do you know how annoying you are? All of us have those moments, eh? Today we're gonna to be speaking about the second part of home ground. I'm gonna spend some time talking about ground this morning. And there's four major reasons why we love the word ground, okay? So the first one is that we believe that, that we're a church where we stand on solid ground. Stand on solid ground. That means that we, we build our house on the rock. Remember that story that Jesus told? He said, if you're gonna build a house, make sure that you don't build it on sand because when the storm comes, it'll just wash it away. But make sure you build it on the rock, who is actually referring to himself. Make sure you build your life or your house on the rock, who is me, so that when the storm comes, because there will be storms, when the storm comes, your house will be okay. It will survive the storm. Solid ground. Question is, are you building your house on solid ground? Second thing we think of when we speak about ground is that it's growth. Growth comes to mind when we think of ground. And um, I, I'm not great at keeping plants alive, but, but you know that the, the only part of the, the soil on the planet is the topsoil. Only part that's, that's fertile is the topsoil, okay? Only place you can plant anything is in the topsoil. And it takes 500 years to produce only 2.5 centimeters of topsoil. Incredible. 500 years to produce only 2.5 centimeters of topsoil. So when I'm talking about produce, so most of our sand is rock that's been eroded. It also has some organic material and a whole bunch of microorganisms. That's what makes this, the topsoil fertile. They say that if you pick up a, a handful of sand or topsoil, you have more microorganisms in your hand than people on the earth. Isn't that interesting? I feel like the church should be that topsoil, should be that micro organisms, because it's the microorganisms that make the soil fertile. When we speak about growth, the church, us, we are the people or the, the microorganisms that should make this ground growable, if that's even a word. 
fertile, every single one of us. We think of ground, we think of authenticity. When someone walks onto this building, they should be able to, to be authentic. They should be able to be themselves, and we should be able to receive them for whoever they are. No matter what color their skin is, no matter what language they speak, no matter what their dress code is, we should be able to receive them with love. It should essentially be a judgment-free zone. We then hope that whoever walks in here would meet Jesus and that their lives would be absolutely transformed by the power of the gospel. And the last thing, I'm gonna spend a lot of time speaking about the last thing today. When we speak about home ground, we speak about holy ground. Holy ground, I always wondered what that meant. What does holy ground even mean? It's a very churchy word. Like when we say holy ground, it's very churchy. You don't go into like the KFC and say, hey guys, has anyone seen any holy ground? You're like, yo, you can just check around the corner, you can get a whole bag full of holy ground to plant in. You know what I mean? It's not a common word. What does it even mean, holy ground? So the first place we encounter this exact phrase is in, um, it's in the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus. And um, so let me just tell you, give you a brief history of Moses' life, okay? So Moses was born a Hebrew who lived in Egypt, and the Hebrews were God's chosen people. They were slaves in Egypt. So one day, the Pharaoh decided that he wanted to kill all of the boys, firstborn boys. And Moses was one of those baby boys who needed to be killed. And Moses' mom, if you know the story, didn't want that to happen, so she put him in an ark, put him in the river, and then he was safe. Eventually, Pharaoh's daughter finds him, and then he gets adopted into this family, and for the next 40 years of his life, he lives in a palace in absolute luxury, gets educated, the best education, everything is the best. Until one day he goes outside and he sees an, is, an Egyptian slave driver beating a Hebrew, one of his people. And this did something, something to him in his heart, right? So he responds and he goes to this guy and he kills him, kills the Egyptian. It's true, Janice, <laughs> just like that. He kills his guy just like that. Luckily, I didn't do that at the KFC. <laughs> he kills this dude, and then he buries him in sand, right? Like sand. What a dumb choice. Just cover this guy, the wind blows. There's this dead guy now. Anyway, so he gets exposed. So, so he, see, he sees two Hebrew guys fighting with each other. So then he goes to them and says, hey, why are you guys fighting? And then they say, who are you to even tell us that we shouldn't be fighting when you killed someone and buried him in the sand? and the wind blew, and now he's exposed. How can you tell us this? And then Moses became afraid, and he ran away. Then for the next 40 years of his life, he was in a desert. So he spent the first 40 years of his life as something, something important, someone important. The next 40 years of his life, he discovers that actually he was no one. And then one day, God grabs his attention, and he, Moses looks up, and he sees a fire, sees a bush burning, and he sees this bush is burning, but it's not being devoured. It's not being consumed by the fire. And then he says, the Bible says he saw it, and then he went over to go and look. And then God speaks to him. Powerful, powerful passage. Let me quickly read to you what God says to Moses in this moment. He says to him in Exodus chapter three, verse five, he says, then he, God, then he said, do not draw near this place. 
take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Holy ground. So that's the first time in the Bible we encounter the word holy ground. We only encounter this exact phrase two times throughout the whole Bible. The one is in the Old Testament right here in this passage. The next one is in Acts chapter six and seven where Stephen is referring or referencing this exact passage only twice in the whole Bible. We see this sort of concept all over though. So the concept of a place being sacrosanct or being holy isn't uncommon. We sort of see it all over. So for example, um, eventually, so God speaks to him and he says, hey Moses, I want you to go and free my people, they are slaves. I need you to go back and, and free them. God speaks to him through this fire, then he goes back, then eventually he frees the Hebrew people and then they, then they stuck in this desert for many years. And then they build what they call the tabernacle. They didn't build it, it was like a tent. And this tent was a representation of God's presence. So you'll see on the outside, there's, they call it the outer court. Outer court. Then you get the inner court on the inside when you move into that tent, inner court. Then right at the back, there's a place called the Holy of Holies. And in that place, that was the place where God dwelled, okay? So there was this holy place. So the ground there was holy. The walls were holy. Everything in that place was holy. It wasn't holy because it was a special type of material. It was holy because the presence of God was there. God tells him, take off your shoes. Take off your shoes. Why does he tell him to take off your shoes? Who wondered that? See, the shoes take on the character of the flesh. The character of the unworthy the character of our desire and our will. So when God says, take off your shoes, he's saying, hey Moses, take off your will. Take off the sin of the flesh that's causing a separation between you and me. And step onto holy ground. The, holy, the ground is, take on the, is taken on the character of God. So what he's saying to Moses is, Moses, leave your will behind. Step onto this ground and, and adopt my will into your life holy ground. So when they entered the holy of holies in the tabernacle, they did the same thing. They entered into the will of God and the presence of God. We also see this concept of holy, holy ground or a holy place or a place that had been sacrosanct come through the temple, okay? So remember I mentioned that the, the tabernacle was, was, a, was like a dwelling place or the dwelling place of God. They also referred to it as the, con, the, um, the meeting or the tent of the congregation, the temple was, a, was, a, was like a solid structure that represented the exact same thing as the tabernacle. The tabernacle was portable, so they had to move throughout the desert. The temple, when Solomon built it, was, was a permanent structure. And Solomon was like, guys, we need to give God something awesome, a beautiful place where he can dwell. Then they built the temple, but it was the exact same structure. The outer court, holy place, and then the holy of holies. And then the last place, we see this concept of, of holy ground. Or another place we see this concept of a place being holy is in with a tallit. It's called a prayer shawl. It's a prayer shawl. So what they would do with this is they would cover themselves with this, okay? Hebrew people, so trying to not show you my armpits because I'm sweating. Trying to find a good way to cover myself, but I don't even care, I'm just owning it, John. <laughs> Gonna be even more warm now, Sean. I'll see you on Sunday mornings. They would cover themselves in this garment, right? And the covering would represent the presence of God. So when they, I don't wanna mess up my hair either, but I, I'm owning it. 
So when they covered themselves, they would say, I'm covering myself with the presence of God. So wherever they went, they had this portable tabernacle. The word talit literally means small tent, portable tabernacle. So wherever they moved, they brought the presence of God with them. So wherever they moved, they were stepping on holy ground. Wherever they went, they were bringing God's presence and stepping into holy, holy ground. So the way this talit was, or this prayer shawl, some of you might know it as a prayer shawl, the way it was constructed is pretty awesome. So you got this covering, which represents the presence of God. Then in the four corners, they have tassels. There's four tassels. Yes, that's the right, can you say that louder? The, the, yes, I can't say that word. I'm struggling to say it, but that's it. If you, the tzitz, tzitzi, like a tzitzi fly almost. We're <laughs> gonna get it, Sean. After this service, I'll come chat with you, good. But the, but the English word is a tassel, right? I'm gonna go with English. Each corner has a tassel hanging from it, okay? Four of them, each of the corners. Then on each of these tassels, you'll find, you would find five knots, five knots. You can count them, one, two, three, four, five. And each of those knots represents the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numeri, Deuteronomium. That's how I learned it in Afrikaans. You thought I was speaking Hebrew, I wasn't. Yeah? I know. <laughs> yeah, I'm good, I'm good like that. <laughs> five knots, each represent the five first five books of the, of the Bible, which represents the Word of God. So they would cover themselves in the presence of God, and then they would be covering themselves in the Word of God. Each of these knots, in between them, there would be four spaces in between each knot, four, which represents the name of God, Yahweh. But they wouldn't say Yahweh, they would spell it yod Hey vav Hey. Is it on there? No, it's not on there. You can get the spelling yourself. Y-W, no, Y-H-W-H, yod Hey vav Hey. the name of God. So now they've covered themselves in the presence of God. They've covered themselves in the word of God. And now they've also covering themselves in the name of God. At the bottom of this tassel, there are eight strands hanging down from it. Eight, eight exactly eight. The number eight represents the grace of God or new beginnings. Almost like a rebrand, new beginnings, I love that, but represents the grace of God. So now they're also covering themselves in the grace and the mercy of God. And then the eight strands were split into two. So there's two sets of cords coming out, four. Four strands then per side. Then there should be three white strands and one blue strand, which represents the nature of God. So three, the blue one and one. Three and one. So now when they put this tallit on, they're covering themselves in the presence of God. Wherever they go, they bring the presence of God. Wherever they step, they make holy ground. But with all that, they are covered in the name of God and the word of God and the ways of God and the grace of God and the nature of God. And then they would wrap these tassels through their fingers, through their hands as a representation 
of what every, everything they do, everything they touch should be infused with God's nature. So when someone parks you in at KFC, I should theoretically have had the tassels wrapped in my fingers. <laughs> but I didn't, you see. I detangled the tassels from my hands and I didn't take my shoes off and I stepped in there wearing my current will and I addressed this person from my flesh. How embarrassing. I should have stepped in there covered in the presence of God, wrapping his name and his ways and his word and his character in my hands and I should have brought heaven into the situation. After that KFC moment, I felt like God say to me, did you bring heaven into the situation? The response was, no, I didn't. We think of holy ground. We think of bringing God's word and nature wherever we go. There's a story in the Bible about a lady who struggled with a disease. She, she bled continuously, nonstop for many, many years. And the story goes, Jesus arrived and then there were crowds around him. And this lady reached out and she grabbed the hem of his garment, yes. We, the Bible says grab the hem of his garment. I always just thought like Jesus wore like a V-neck shirt. And this lady grabbed out and just took the hem like the bottom of it. But Jesus was a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi. He would be wearing one of these. So wherever he went, he would be bringing the presence of God, the nature of God and all those awesome things. And this lady understood this. So when she reached out to grab the hem or the tassel, what was she reaching out for? Healing. Another word for, for this talit is also wings. Wings, interesting. We find in Malachi 4, chapter four, verse two, it says this. But to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. With healing in his wings. So Jesus brought God's kingdom into every place he went. Remember when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray? Our Father art in heaven. Your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. So Jesus was restoring God's kingdom here on earth just as it was in heaven. The ground he walked on was holy ground because he made it holy. The ground that you and I walk on should be holy because we are there. And you see right throughout the Bible, God moving closer to man. Right in the beginning, God was with Adam and Eve, the relationship was separated, but then we see this massive chasm between man and God. God was in heaven somewhere, far, unreachable. Then eventually he came closer into a mobile structure, the tabernacle, he's closer. People can access him somewhat. Then we eventually see him moving even closer to a place that we know that's where he's gonna be at the temple. Then we see him even closer with the tallit, awesome. Even closer. Then Jesus arrives, Emmanuel, God is with us. Even closer, tangible. We can now touch God and see God. Jesus goes to heaven and then he sends the Holy Spirit who now dwells in us, in us. That's why I don't need necessarily to carry this garment with me. Don't need it. It's an awesome reminder, Sean, awesome reminder. But because Christ dwells in me, I am God's home. Every single fight I've had with Kara, my wife, 
is because I didn't take my sandals off. I chose to lean into my will and not to step onto holy ground, to lean into God's will and vice versa. Can you imagine a marriage where both parties say, hey, I'm gonna take off my sandals, I'm gonna take off my will, I'm gonna step into holy ground, wrap my fingers in the word of God, the ways of God, the grace of God, the nature of God, and covered in his presence. Are we gonna address this fight now with God on our side, doing it his way? Can you imagine what relationships would look like? Can you imagine what this church would look like if every single one of us say, I have my will, I have my preferences, I have all of my, my, my. But what happens if we actually take off our sandals, leave the flesh behind, and say, God, when I come here today, your will, not mine. When I leave this place, I'm taking your presence with me wherever I go, even into KFC, even when I speak to the cab driver. So when you think holy ground, please remember that we speak about solid ground. We speak about growth, we speak about a place where we can be real and authentic. We speak about holy ground. And we bring, we are, the, we are the bearers of God's presence and we need to bring heaven into every situation. Let's pray. Lord, we stand here today wearing our, our sandals. standing here with our own will and our own preferences. But as we move into this new space, this new era, teach every single one of us to take off our sandals, to cover ourselves in your presence, to be infused with your word, to show grace and mercy like you do. Help us to bear your nature and bring heaven into every single situation. May the healing that you bring in your wings come through your church. Home ground, Wasteful Baptist Church. In Jesus' name, amen. Shot Jack. Sure, this is epic. Um, so I just wanna wrap up. If you weren't here last week, we spoke into the message of home. Um, and we've been speaking about as we have gone through this process of rebranding, um, why we have chosen these two words, home and ground. And last week we unpacked the significance of home, this week unpacking the significance of ground. And I think the, the cry of my heart, I know of the leadership of this church, is God, make us this kind of church. Please make us this kind of church. And so the question that I want to put to us this morning is, are you in? So are you in? Um, you know, we, we trust that God will make us this kind of church. But as with most things in life, there's certain things that we also have to do. Um, there's certain things that we need to act on. And, um, you know, if we want to be a place like this that represents all we spoke about home, which please get the, download the, the, the sermon from last week if you didn't get it so that you can have that understanding as well. But if we want to be that home ground we need to commit to being at first. I need to commit to being at first. I need to commit to all of these things. And so when I ask you that question, are you in? Essentially, what I'm asking 
is are you committing to a few things? And I just want to kind of put those before you this morning. Firstly, I would encourage us to commit to a soft heart. When we're speaking into being a home, I would commit, encourage us to commit to a soft heart, which means to allow God to make my heart look like his heart. To allow my, God to make my heart look like his heart. That we accept whatever family he brings into our home. Jacques mentioned that this morning. Whoever comes into our home that God brings to be part of our family, we accept them with open arms. I think another thing that committing to a soft heart means is, is choosing to believe the best. You know, there's, there's lots of times that it's quite easy to be offended. You might come into church and sit next to someone and they stand up and move and sit somewhere else. And you're like, oh, you know, it's not a great day for anyone. Or you may walk past someone and they ignore you completely. So in moments like that, we can choose to be completely offended and say, this is not my home. These people don't treat me like a family and leave. Or we can choose to believe the best. You know, perhaps that person is having a really rough day and they just want to sit by themselves. Or perhaps that person didn't even hear me when I greeted them, and they walked past. Perhaps that person, we know we have so many diverse people in this church who each have a story, who each arrive on a Sunday with stuff having happened in their week that we have no knowledge about. And I think committing to a soft heart is choosing to believe the best or at least choosing to ask the person, how are you doing today? Or choosing to say, oh, I don't, you know, just believe the best. Committing to allow God to make our hearts look like him. Essentially, believing the best about someone is putting them before us, right? Which is what God asks us anyway. So allowing God to make our hearts look like him, accepting whatever family he brings here. Secondly, in terms of home, committing to those who are not here yet. Committing to those who are not here yet. There's lots of people who need a home. And if we find ourselves in this home and we feel comfortable at this home, that's amazing. We want that to stay the same. But also to commit to those who aren't here yet. Because there's a lot of people who aren't here yet who maybe we need to think about before we think about what we want. You know, it's, it's quite easy to, it's, you know, it's actually a bit of a mindset change to say it's not about what I like or what I understand or what appeals to me but actually it's about what that person who's not yet here would like, how they would understand stuff, and what might appeal to them so that they can also be brought home. Thirdly, committing to living on purpose. We spoke about this last week a little bit, but acknowledging that our purpose while being here, remember Jesus said when he was speaking to, to the disciples in John 14, we spoke about this last week, I'm going away, but I'm going to come back and fetch you. And between that time, what is our purpose here on earth? It's to tell his story. It's to share him with others. It's to live on purpose so that people might come home into a relationship with him. And so committing to a soft heart, committing to those not yet here, committing to live on purpose. Fourthly, committing to be real, which is kind of where we cross over from home to ground, committing to be real. You know what, this place, church, it's like a big hospital. Some of us have already been healed. Some of us walk in broken, broken, broken. And I think that sometimes we come in here as a broken person and we think, shucks, I don't belong here. Everyone looks like they got it all right. 
Well, they also used to be broken. We just came to a place where God, the healer, fixed our hearts. And so we want to apologize if our church has ever made you feel like you can't be real. Because we want to commit to being real and authentic. We want to commit to being a family where you are loved even when we see the worst of you and you will find a place to belong. And so commit to being real. I I can only be real for myself. I can't force anyone else to be real. But commit to being real. Home is a place where you will be loved and accepted even when you bear the ugliest part of you. We have things here like life groups. We have things here like LTCs. The purpose of these things are for us to be real and to journey together as a family. That's what it means to be a home. And at the same time, the world is crying out for authenticity. We don't want people who are are broken to look in and say, I can never go there. Those people have got it all together. The reason we've got it all together is because um, 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Now, I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. It's the power of Christ that has brought anyone to a place where we look vaguely like we've got anything together. And so how will we become home? Commit to a soft heart. Commit to those not yet here. Commit to living on purpose. Commit to being real. And how will we become ground? Commit to grow. Commit to to grow, which means investing in your spiritual growth. You know, babies drink milk and then we give them some other stuff, mushy food, and then we give them some solid food and they change their diet as they grow. And I think perhaps for some of us here, it's time for us to invest in our growth and to change our diet. Maybe that means for 2020 doing something different. Maybe it means putting something new into your spiritual diet, joining a life group, going on a mission trip, start journaling, uh, join a prayer meeting, join an LTC, find a place to serve, but to do something new to invest in your growth because if we're committing to grow, we need to do something about that. Commit to his word. Commit to his word. I read something this week from a book called What a Thousand Churches Reveal About Spiritual Growth, and they said this, nothing has a greater impact on spiritual growth than reflection on scripture. They've seen this over a thousand churches. If churches could do only one thing to help people level up in their spiritual maturity, the choice is clear. It's the word of God. We're a church that stands on the word of God. It's our foundation. Ground speaks to this. But if I want to be a church who lives up to be that, I need to stand on his word myself. I need to stand on his word and link up with someone else who's standing on his word and link up with someone else who's standing on his word. Then we will be standing on solid ground together. And then lastly, I can't say much more than Jacques said, but commit to being a carrier of the presence of God. We want this place to be holy ground. But we also want every single place where each of us go in the week to be holy ground because we're carrying with us the presence of God. So are you in? Are you in home ground to becoming home ground? It starts with us and it is a very exciting journey that we're on. And so as you step out those doors this morning, imagine just stepping, 
onto home ground. You choose to be it. You choose to be all those things. And let's each one of us choose to strive towards all of these things as we become home ground together. God bless. Have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful week. And if you've got kids, please can you fetch them from Kids and Coffee next door. That'll be great.